Today we're going to start our fourth and final installment of Echoes. And I just want to remind you that uh, for those of you that uh, have to miss from time to time, whether it's your uh, sickness or you're out of town, uh, we do have our live stream that you go on Facebook and watch that online. I just checked and there's at least 10 people that are watching it right now, uh, some of which are in Florida and different places like that, vacationing. Um, and uh, so if you ever need that, it's an awesome thing to be able to still be a part of the church, even if you can't be here physically with us. I also want to remind you, too, about our year of prayer, and we want to partner together with you with asking the question of God and asking Him to answer that prayer of what does God want us to be and uh, what does He want us to do. So let's go ahead and pray and ask God to help us with that right now as we open the message. Dear Jesus, uh, Lord, we pray that you would um, help us become a praying church. God, help us to get serious about it. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, guide us and lead us and direct us with what you want us to do and who you want us to be. God, I pray that you would uh, help us to be the church you want us to be to this community. Help us to be the heart of Clarksburg. God, I pray as we uh, look at this uh, message this morning, God, and look at your word, that you would speak directly to our hearts, God. Strengthen our faith, deepen our faith. Help us to be uh, more secure in it so that we can share it with others. In your name we pray, amen. One day there was a man that was uh, rummaging through an old attic in a dusty Austrian town. And a collector came across a faded manuscript containing pages of music. And it was written for a piano. The man takes that music to a knowledgeable dealer, and the dealer reveals that this is a handwritten piece of Mozart music. But it wasn't a piece he had ever seen before. It was an original. No one had ever seen it before. This was an amazing discovery. So before long, they find themselves sitting at a piano, and it's wonderful music, just the sort of thing that Mozart would have written. But there was a problem. It was fragmented. There were pieces in the music where nothing much seemed to happen, where the piano was just marking time, and where uh, there were so many beats of rest that it seemed obvious that it was incomplete. And when they discovered that this was indeed a Mozart, but it was missing the pieces of the music written for another instrument, and they had looked all over for that uh, the rest of that music. See, the piano music is all there, and it's a signpost of something that was there once and one day might turn up again. It's beautiful music, but it's missing something. And this is the position that we find ourselves in when we look at the beauty of this world. The beauty of this world, and it, it, the world is so full of beauty, but it is incomplete. See, beauty is another echo of a voice. Just like justice slips through our fingers, beauty does as well. We can find ourselves taking a picture of a sunset, but we, all we get is the memory of a moment and not the moment itself. I brought some pictures of some of the most beautiful places that I've ever been to. Uh, this first one is the first time that I ever saw the Pacific Ocean 
in uh, Costa Rica. And I can tell you that it's a, a pretty picture, but it's nothing compared to being there and the all that that inspired. This next picture is a picture of Lake Toba in Indonesia. You can look at this picture and you could go 360 degrees and it looked exactly like that all around you because it's a crater of a meteor that hit and created this lake. And it's a beautiful place and you can try and capture it in pictures, but it doesn't do justice. That simply will not fit in to the camera. See, a picture of beauty doesn't satisfy. You can look at pictures of the beach, and it's not like being there. You still long to be there. And then when you get there, you long to go back because it's incomplete and it's unsatisfying. The energy and sound of a live concert cannot be captured by record or CD. See, the strange thing about beauty is that we never have enough. A few years ago, uh, my brothers and my dad and I went on a three-day hike uh, on the Presidential Trail, which goes up Mount Washington along with uh, a bunch of other uh, mountains there in New Hampshire, and it was amazing. But I could build a cabin on the side of that mountain, and I could stare at that beautiful view every day, and it would never be enough. See, it may be exquisite, but it's ultimately unsatisfying. Not only that, much of beauty is always changing, the styles of art, the styles of music. We even have changed the definition of human beauty. And you could go back and you can uh, go to paintings that were uh, from, you know, 200, 300, 500 years ago. And it's obvious that what people consider beauty then is not what people consider beauty now. Take a look at Mona Lisa. Hopefully none of you feel like you look like that or I just insulted you. But it, uh, with uh, even skin, skin tone and, and all that, you know, it used to be where uh, the desirable uh, tone of skin was pale because that meant that you didn't work in the fields all day, but now you want to be brazen and tan because that means you have the means to vacation. And beauty is always changing and we never have enough. Many cultures have confused beauty with the divine. They worship the sun or the moon or the stars or a tiger or an elephant. But see, beauty itself is not divine. It's simply a signpost that points us somewhere else. And beauty also fades. That sunset is over and that youthful uh, glow one day dims. And beauty is powerful. Whether it's natural or human, sometimes it's so powerful that it evokes in us the very deepest feelings of awe and wonder and reverence. And sometimes all we can do as we stand before something is to say, wow. But why do we seek beauty? Why do we appreciate it so much? Why do we crave it? If a dog were to walk by the Grand Canyon, I don't think he would stop and look and just be like, oh man, this is really neat. I've never seen anything like this before. But see, as Christians, it's clear to us why we crave and why we desire it is because it points us to God. We sing of it. We're in awe of the beauty of our creator. He is endlessly artistic and unbelievably creative. 
because it's an echo of a voice pointing us to our maker. It's a reminder that God is coming to rescue this world and to restore all the ugliness and brokenness in the world. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Isaiah chapter 11 gives us a glimpse of what that restored world will look like. Isaiah 11.6 says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There's going to be a day where we don't have to worry about the ugliness and the brokenness of this world. Everything that disgusts us, everything that brings us pain will one day come to an end and we will know a beauty that never runs out. See, the beauty that we see right now is incomplete, but it points us to that future. But see, we don't have to wait until then to start this process in us. God wants to make beauty out of our ashes right now. And just like that newly discovered piece of Mozart music, the song is already complete in the composer's head. But at the moment, neither the instruments or the players are ready to perform it. They're waiting on that call for God to say it's time. N.T. Wright says, the things that don't make sense at the moment will display a harmony and perfection that we hadn't yet dreamed of. The points at which today the music seems almost perfect, lacking just one small thing, will be complete. And that is the promise held out in the story. Just as in one of the New Testament's greatest claims, the kingdom of this world are to become the kingdom of God. So the beauty of this world will be unfolded into the beauty of God. And not just the beauty of God himself, but the beauty which because God is the creator, he will restore, rescue, heal, and complete all of the beauty of this world. See, our passion for beauty is the echo of a voice, the voice of our creator. And there are more than just these four echoes that we have talked about in this series of justice and spirituality and relationship and beauty. There are more things that set us apart from all other creatures, things we can't just explain by chance. We as uh, humans have a desire to tell stories. We create artistic beauty. We think out our beliefs and we ask the question, why are we here? We create music. All of these things are things God put in us to reflect who he is. It seems so many people are confused about God. Is God far away? Is God just alive in all things around us? Does God live in a different space and dimension? N.T. Wright states that there are three basic ways to think about how God's space relates to our space. And you're going to see uh, probably some people that you know that you can picture them as you think about these beliefs. You can say, oh yeah, that's what so-and-so believes, and that's what this person believes. But there's three different ways that we can uh, think about and 
understand how God's space could relate to uh, our space. And the first one is this. We can believe that God's space and our space are the same. In other words, God is everywhere and everywhere is God. And God is everything and everything is God. And that leads to pantheism. Early Christians were tempted to believe this because of its similarity to the Greek and Roman world where you could worship the gods of the sea and the gods of the air and so on and so on. It was believed that everything had a spark of divinity in it. And therefore, you worship everything, the sun, the moon, the stars, but also, and these are the harder ones, wasps, right, mosquitoes, hurricanes. That gets more difficult when you say that God is everything and God is in everything. And that line of thinking, God is in all, even in things that are evil. That's the first way you can think about it. The second way is we can believe that God's space and our space are firmly held apart. That God exists, but he is far away. And I think you could find a lot of people that would believe this today. Don't bother appealing to God. He's too busy. He isn't listening. He's in the distance somewhere. He may have started this all, but now we're on our own. And there are many people that believe this today, and they're called deists. Some people would say it this way, that I'm an agnostic, where I think there might be something out there, but I don't know what it is. And if it is out there, I think it's far away, and it doesn't have much to do with me. Many Americans believe that when they talk about God in heaven, they assume that it's a faraway place that has uh, little impact on their lives. So those are the, the first two. You can believe that God's space and our space are the same, exactly the same. You can believe that God's space and our space are completely uh, unconnected. Or thirdly, you can believe, along with ancient Christians and Jews, that heaven and earth are not separated by a great gulf, but instead they overlap and interlock in a number of different ways. The Old Testament started this narrative where God makes his presence known, seen, and heard here on this earth. Abraham keeps meeting God. Jacob sees a ladder between heaven and earth with angels going to and fro. Moses discovers a burning bush and that he's standing on holy ground. In other words, there are moments that we see where heaven and earth intersect. Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt and with the help of signs and plagues, there's a pillar of clouds by day, a pillar of fire by night that they followed. God appears and gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And then God gives them a physical place to meet him at. The Bible calls it the tabernacle or a place of meeting. And it's a literally a place where heaven and earth meet. But there's a problem with the tabernacle is it wasn't permanent. Well, then David uh, made Jerusalem as capital and he plans to start uh, making a permanent house of God and his son Solomon builds that great temple on Mount Zion and that was the place where the presence of God dwelt. This is what we see in Psalms 132:13. It says for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I dwell for I have desired it. And people from all over the world traveled to worship God at that temple, the place where heaven met earth. But then 
The people of Israel turned their back on God. They were taken into captivity. The temple was destroyed and there was much hopelessness and desperation and sadness for hundreds of years. But then John the Baptist shows up on the scene and he starts preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then the hero of the story shows up, Jesus Christ. And he changed everything. And now you don't have to go to a place where heaven and earth meet. He came to you. Healing, raising people from the dead, walking on water, feeding the five thousands. These things were heavenly things happening on earth. He taught radical ideas as well, like loving uh, your enemy and forgiving the unforgivable and turning the other cheek. These were heavenly ideas on earth. But then he went to the cross and he was beaten and he was scourged and he was mocked and he died. The innocent son of God's heart stopped and he was wrapped in grave clothes and buried. But then the stone rolled away and he rose from the dead. He was seen of hundreds of people over the course of 40 days. But then he ascended to heaven. He left. What now? What are we going to do? Heaven left earth. How can we connect to God now? How does this whole thing work now? We don't have a temple, and now we don't have Jesus. We don't have the tabernacle. And I don't know about you, but I have never seen any burning bushes that I didn't light on fire. But Jesus told his disciples long before he left what they would do in John 16, 7. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. See, Jesus says he wouldn't leave us alone. He would send a helper, a comforter, an advocate called the Holy Spirit. And he actually said this, and I wonder if you believe this. He said that you would be better off with the Holy Spirit inside of you than if he walked beside you. It says, it is to your advantage if I go away. Because if I go away, I'm going to send the comforter. See, Jesus was God with us, but the Holy Spirit is God in us. And here's the thing. I don't think... I don't know that we grasp this, and I'm including myself in this. You are now the place where heaven meets earth. You are now the place where heaven meets earth. You don't have to go to a temple to meet God. You don't have to be in this building to meet God. You don't have to move to Jerusalem and follow Jesus around. If you are a believer, then God dwells within you. 2 Timothy 1.13 tells us to follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. How are we going to follow those patterns of sound, of, of sound words? It says, by the Holy Spirit. Where's the Holy Spirit? It says, who dwells within us? Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Ephesians 3.16 it says, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. 
How? Through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the height and the depth and the length and to know the love of Christ. You are now the place where heaven meets earth. And that is why Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? See, this isn't a verse about exercising more. This isn't a verse about eating better or not smoking. This is, a, uh, this is a verse about how God dwells within you. You are now the temple. That's what that means. You are the temple. You are where God dwells. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And all of these echoes of justice and relationship and spirituality and beauty are all calling you to that other place called heaven, but not just in the future, right now. God's will being done on this earth as it is in heaven. You are the place where heaven meets earth. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So here's the question today. How's your temple's ministry doing? How's your church doing? How's Phil Wayman Baptist Church doing? How's its worship? Is it, how's its worship? How is its witness? Does your church have a mission effort? Does your church have outreach is there scandal and corruption in your temple? Does the spirit move in your temple? Is your church being fed? How is your church serving others without looking to be served? See, it's easy for us to sit back and criticize the church and see all that's wrong with the church, but you are the church. And before we look at what other people aren't doing, we ought to ask ourselves the question, what am I doing? You were made to live in community with God. And these echoes of a voice we all have in us are calling us to the one that made us. Justice, spirituality, relationship, and beauty are things that are written on every human by God. These are pieces of the music that draw us to the composer. And God desires each of our lives to be a place where heaven on earth is. Is that how people would describe your life? Is that how people would describe your marriage? That's a place where heaven and earth intersect. You are God's plan to walk out his will on this earth. Matthew 5.14 tells us that you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So how's your church doing? Is your church a light in this dark world? Or is it just boarded up 
and dilapidated and falling apart, a ghost of what used to be there. God is calling all people to himself. And you are the way that they're going to get answers. You are the place where heaven and earth meet. Let's take that seriously because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Is that how you approach this thing called a relationship with Christ? God, work in me. God, show up in my life today. God, I'm not being the type of church that you want me to be. I'm not being the temple that you want me to be. See, it's more than just these frivolous things that we think about. It's a big deal when the Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you prepared to meet with God? When was the last time your church heard from God? We've been asking you as a church over the past uh, two months to pray for that answer to that question. God, who do you want us to be? What do you want us to do? And the reason we're asking you to pray is because if you're a believer in here, God wants to speak to you. Do you believe that? And I'm glad to pray along with you on things as your pastor, and I love to be able to do that. But you don't have to bring them to me. You don't have to bring them to a deacon. No, you, if you're saved, you have a relationship with Christ, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Jesus that walked beside those disciples said that you would be better off with having what you have than having what they had. We have so much more. We have so much better. And like Uncle Ben said, with great power comes great responsibility. That's from Spider-Man. <laughs> but seriously, it's a good quote. It's Bible right there almost. <laughs> hey, you have the responsibility of knowing the whole story. The disciples didn't have that. They didn't have this thing that you hold in your hand. The disciples, when they walked with Jesus and when all those times they turned back on God and all those times that people doubted, Thomas doubted and Peter denied Christ, they didn't have the Holy Spirit like we have. They had Jesus beside them. They didn't have Jesus within them. You have so much more. Too often we look at these characters in the Bible and say, I can't do any of this. I can't forgive like this person forgave. I can't you know, step out in faith and just do miraculous things and do awesome things. I can't do this stuff. You have more than they ever had. Every head's bowed and eyes closed. The band comes this morning. How's your temple's ministry doing? You don't go to a church, you are a church. We are the church. And yes, there's bigger parts of it where we're a family together, and there are things that we do. We, we believe that we can do more together than we can apart, and God ordained this thing called a church, Clarksburg Baptist Church, but none of it matters if in you it's not happening. This thing called beauty that we all seek is just another one of those voices inside of us, an echo of a voice that God is 
whispering to us, saying, I want a relationship with you. I want to be present with you. I want to walk with you. Everybody in our community has those four things, that desire for justice and spirituality and relationship and beauty. We have the answers. Now, you might not be living it out. It may have been a long time since you saw real movement in your church. The amazing thing about God, though, is he doesn't hold that against us. He says, hey, come to me. Come to me. There's no reason to hide from God. He already knows. He's already well aware. Living in guilt doesn't do anybody any good. You get back up. Say, God, I know the Bible says I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, but it, man, my church hasn't been going well. It's dead. It's not doing anything for you. It's not following the things that you say. To be honest, it's got some things in it that if people knew was going on, it would bring a shame to the name of Jesus Christ. Let's take a few minutes. You remain seated. These are heavy thoughts this morning, and, and it's a big responsibility to be the place that houses the Holy Spirit. If you want to use the altar this morning, you come down. Let's pray over these thoughts and meditate on them.